looking at uh, what Christ, and specifically the birth of Christ, that we always celebrate this time of year at Christmas, what that means to us. The first week, uh, Jordan spoke to us, and he talked to us that the coming of Christ at Christmas brings us hope. Dan spoke last week, and Dan spoke about how the coming of Christ at Christmas brings us peace and a fullness of peace and a shalom that we can experience now and that we'll experience both in eternity. Today, my assignment is for us to look at how the coming of Christ brings us joy. And I want to ask you something. Have you ever been disappointed by a Christmas gift? Or maybe any gift in particular? You just knew that you were going to get that thing that you've been dropping hints about for a week. That you'd kind of let someone know that you wanted. Maybe you left the the internet open to the thing so that, you know, your significant other or someone would see it or the catalog, you know, kind of marked, you know, thinking, hey, my husband or boyfriend or somebody is smart enough to think this is what I actually want. Guys aren't that dumb. Just tell us what you want. Um, don't play games with us. But anyway, you know, you look under the tree and, and, and the box was the right size. It sounded about right when you snuck in there to secretly shake the box. You're like, yeah, this, this, this might be about it. And it felt about the right weight. You saved it for last when you're opening presents on Christmas morning because you just knew that you were going to savor that special moment and you wanted to save it until the end. All was right, and you had a huge smile on your face as you were unwrapping the paper and ripping it open. And then in your mind, it registers, this wasn't the gift that I wanted. But you did your best to hide your disappointment to your family and your friends as they didn't give you what you wanted or they gave you something that you thought you wanted. But think back to the time of Christ's birth. Prophets throughout history had foretold the coming of the Messiah. The nation of Israel was going to rise under their king and would throw off the bonds of the Roman Empire. Great crowds gathered all around him to listen to his every word and just knew that this was the one, the promised one, the Messiah. Then he started saying things like, my kingdom is not of this world. He preached peace and submission to the ruling powers, not overthrowing the Roman government. He answered and didn't say a word as he was accused and brought before his many trials. He even, quote, blasphemed as he claimed to be the son of God. And if you're in that time, as an Israelite, you might be thinking, how could this be? Is this a cruel joke? We just praised him last week at his triumphal entry, and now one week later, he's on a cross being mocked as a king. This couldn't be the Messiah. This wasn't supposed to be how this happened. This wasn't the gift that we wanted. Yet God had a much larger and grander plan for Christ. The Messiah's birth, his sinless life, his death, his resurrection accomplished so much more than the temporary earthly kingdom that everyone wanted him to establish could have ever done. The baby Jesus that we celebrate this time at Christmas was the savior of the world. The one whose humility would accomplish something so great that we still can't comprehend the depth or the breadth of everything that that means. We look with hope to the entire fulfillment of that promise and our ultimate glorification in eternity. How could it be good for the promised Emmanuel to go away so that God could be truly with us with the spirit giving us a seal while we await to be with him forever. A new heaven, a new earth is promised and will become a reality that we will get to experience one day in the future where our God will reign forever and ever and with us as his people. 
But this Christmas, we can rejoice because God's gracious gift of Jesus Christ is much more than we wanted, much more than we dreamed, much more than we can understand. And I would even dare to say, Jesus Christ was the gift that wanted me. Jesus Christ was the gift that wanted us. And this is what gives us joy at Christmas. Now, it's natural to associate joy with Christmas. We hear Frank Sinatra singing all the time. It's the best version of it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We hear the songs and see that sentiment reflected on, on cups and on cards and decorations. But in our world today, it doesn't always quite ring true that there's joy at Christmas, right? Over the last week, I've just, I've just been listening to people and heard numerous conversations of stress and people feeling overwhelmed by all the things they need to do to get ready for Christmas. Cards sent, presents bought and wrapped, decorations to put up, parties to attend, stuff to bake. It all seems like a chore that has to get done for us to, to celebrate and have this joy at Christmas. But there's no joy in that. It's really only a sense of duty. I also, unfortunately, have two friends that have lost their parents this last week. And I know for them there will be a deep sense of loss with an empty chair at the table when the family gathers together, both for the funeral and when they gather together at Christmas. So they've been heavy on my heart this week. But statistics also back up that Christmas may not be the most wonderful time of the year, as Frank likes to sing to us. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, 64% of people with underlying mental illness, such as anxiety or depression, say that the holiday season worsens their symptoms. According to the American Psychological Association, 38% of people, of all people surveyed, said their stress increased during the holiday, which could lead to an increase in physical illness, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. It seems to affect women more than men at a rate of 51 to 35%. And that seems to make sense to all the women because y'all know you do all the work anyway. The guys just kind of sit there and watch. But 68% of people feel financially strained. 66% of people experience loneliness. 63% of people feel too much pressure. 57% have unrealistic expectations. And 55% remember happier times in the past compared to the current times. Now, I don't have specific numbers for the church, but I bet if we took a survey of the church, even Bible-believing churches, the numbers would be about the same, even when we claim to know that Jesus is the reason for the season. So how can Christmas truly be the most wonderful time of the year when well over half the population is stressed or depressed? But that's what I want us to look at this morning, is that three ways in which Christ showed that he was the gift that wanted us through his actions, and how through Christ and his actions, we can experience true joy this Christmas. The first way we can, in which Christ brings joy to us is through his presence. Uh, the verses are printed in your bulletin. You can also look in your Bible as always, but look at Psalm 1611. David writes at the end of this Psalm, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, I love how David uses that phrase, fullness of joy. It's an easy word. It's a little bit of an easy concept to overlook as we read through that. But how do we know when something's full? It's a relatively simple question. But you can't put anything more in it. In other ways, David is saying that he, that he can't have joy. He can't have more joy 
in any way, shape, or form than he currently has of being in the Lord's presence. Well, if that was the case for David in the Old Testament, could that get any better? Look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ came to be with us as humanity in a most unique and special way. He humbled himself and was made in the likeness of men to show us his glory, full of grace and truth. But look back to John 1. I don't think this is printed in the bulletin in verses 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a very special presence of Christ, a right to become the child of God by believing and receiving Jesus Christ, a presence in which if you are a believer, you were chosen by God. Mankind did not desire, will, or wish, or cause this to happen in any way. You yourself did not desire or cause this or make this to happen in any way for Christ to save you. It is a presence that comes only through the will of God. The gift of faith to believe in Christ is given to you through a new birth and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Christ, by his presence on this earth, demonstrated that he was the gift that wanted you. Second, we experience joy through Christ's prayer. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is John 17, and it's often referred to as Christ's high priestly prayer. And, it, and it's, it's beautiful for me as I read this to get a glimpse of, of Christ pouring out his heart to the Father for us. And, and that's just such an amazing thought for me that we, that we get this, this, this glimpse into the inner workings of, of Christ as the God-man speaking to his Father as, as the triune God. The language and all the things that Christ prays for is, is so beautiful, and several messages could be preached from this chapter in itself, but I want to focus, and again, very briefly on three things that Christ prays for that can give us joy this Christmas season. Number one, Christ prays for our protection. Two, Christ prays for our sanctification. And number three, Christ prays for our unification. Let's look at John 17, verses 13 through 24. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, 
Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. In verse 13, we see that Christ is praying for believers to share in the joy that he currently has. And the first way, again, is through our protection. Jesus Christ was not of this world, and neither are we as believers. So we shouldn't be surprised when we are mocked or hated for our beliefs. Christ doesn't pray to, to take us out of the world to avoid this, or even to be sequestered from the world to, try to, to even try to minimize that. But he prays for us to be protected while we continue his mission that he started while we are here on this earth. And as believers, we can have full confidence that whatever comes our way, Christ is sovereignly protecting us and is in control of all things. Second, Christ prays for our sanctification in verses 17 through 19. We know that growth and faithfulness in our spiritual lives is hard. It requires work. It requires discipline. But it also requires grace and truth. Christ prays that we would grow in truth and the word of God and be more firmly rooted and planted. Why are so many churches falling apart today? Because they've lost the firm bearing of the word of God. They veered away from the gospel into other things. Christ consecrated or, or set himself apart for his purpose so that we could be set apart for him. Not only did he provide grace for our salvation, but he provided grace for our continued sanctification in this broken world. And if you look at what Christ says to his disciples in John 14 and John 16, where he says, it's good that I go away for you. Because if I don't go away, I can't send the helper, the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the Holy Spirit, which will be in us, which will dwell with us forever, will be in us. So Christ provides grace for us to be sanctified. So just as we were saved by grace through faith, we're sanctified by grace through faith. Third, Christ prays for unification in verses 20 through 24. At that time, Christ was praying specifically for the 12 that were around him. But he includes all of us who would believe on him through the word that they would proclaim. He desires unity amongst believers. But it's a unity that's based on Christ and based on the truth of Christ. Where there's not the truth of Christ, spiritual unity cannot exist. Yeah, we can have unity for social causes and, and other good things to make this world a little bit better place, but spiritual unity cannot exist apart from Christ. But there's a deeper level of unity that's, that's also talked about here. And this wording is just amazing for me to even try to comprehend. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. In other words, we share in the fellowship that's within the triune God between the Father and the Son. We do not become gods, but we can share in that deep, intimate fellowship that has eternally existed within the Godhead between the Father and the Son. Christ prays for us to experience that deep level of intimate unity with the Father and with himself. But what reason does this type of unity exist? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. 
Remember what Christ said is how people would know we were his disciples? That we have love for one another. And then the love and unity that Christ has for all believers. He knows he's about to be crucified and that he has to go away. But he prays to the Father for us to be with him so that we can share in his eternal glory. And one day, we will see Christ in his true glory and the true love that has eternally existed with the Father. Christ yearns for us to be there with him so that we might see what no mind can imagine and what no words on this earth can even begin to describe. Christ, through his prayer, demonstrated again that he was the gift that wanted us. Third, we experience joy through Christ's perseverance. Looking at Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, these are verses that are probably familiar to, to many of you if you've been in church at any point in time, telling you to persevere and, and keep pressing forward in your spiritual life. But most of the time, probably things that you don't hear associated with a Christmas sermon. But I love that third clause of verse two, who for the joy that was set before him. And it makes me think, what is Christ's joy? Think about that for a moment. When it says the joy that was set before him, what is Christ's joy? And I asked several people. Some people said, well, it's for him to reign. Well, is that true? Christ was already and is reigning as the eternally existent triune God. Further, he already has the right to reign by means of being creator over everything that exists. Looking at what we've already seen so far in Christ coming to earth to be with us and in his, in his presence, in the prayer that he prayed on behalf of our protection and our sanctification and our unity and for us to be with him, I think that it's safe that we can say that we are Christ's joy. More specifically, the completion of our redemption so that we can be forever with our Savior is Christ's joy. All of us who are chosen by the Father and given to the Son, in John 6, 37, Christ who loves us and is sovereignly completing all that must be done for his eternal plan and our salvation and the completion of our redemption. Christ humbled himself, knowing he was to endure all the pain and sorrow and misery that went along with being a human and walking on this earth. The rejection and the beating and the shame, the agony and the death, all of that was Christ persevering for us. His joy, so that we might be where he is, seated at the right hand of God the Father, to see and to share in his glory. Christ persevered in his mission for us, those of us who are his joy. But his mission isn't yet complete. He is coming again. He's coming to make all things new, to rid the world of sin and sorrow and death and misery of anything that is not how this life should be, of anything that was cursed by the fall, anything that is not a perfect shalom and a perfect unity with our Savior and with our God. To bring a shalom that we cannot comprehend and to be in the presence of a glory and to experience a glory that we cannot even fathom. One of the things I hear debated every year is, is joy to the world a Christmas carol? We all grew up singing it at Christmas, and it's a beloved carol. But it's not about the first coming of Christ, if you really think about the words. 
It's about the second coming. But maybe it is an appropriate Christmas song because it reminds us that the work and wonder of Christmas isn't yet complete. There is so much more to come. Christ persevered and is continuing to persevere for us until the completion of all things, when people of every tribe, people of every tongue, people of every nation gather before and together sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. But until that time, we, like Christ, persevere in joy, awaiting the day when Christ comes again. And we see the new heaven and earth descending. And we hear a loud voice saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for all the former things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne, Christ finally seated in his rightful place on the Davidic throne is saying, I am making all things new. That day, that day when we experience that together, there truly will be joy for all the world. Christ through his perseverance demonstrated that he again was the gift that wanted us. I really enjoy Paul Tripp as an author. I enjoy him even more because he's a Philly guy. Um, and I wanted to end with this quote from Paul Tripp because I think it's just fantastic wording as he oft, is, oft does. He says, real joy, however, is more than a temporary elevation of your emotions. In fact, you could say that real joy is fundamentally more than an emotion. Joy is an inner peace and rest based on what you know to be true, resulting in a life of thankfulness and expectancy. Real joy is not a feeling. It is a lifestyle. It is not the result of things that are happening around me, but a sturdy rest and peace that I bring to the things around me that change the way I think about them and the way that I interact with them. Real joy is vertical. It results from being in a personal relationship with the creator and ruler of the universe and resting in his plan for the world. Real joy is rooted in a belief that what God has told you is reliable and accurate. Real joy is rooted in a radical recognition that God is working his unstoppable, wise, and gracious plan, and that he will not relent until his will has finally been done. Real joy recognizes that God's victory is your victory. Real joy looks up to God and beyond to eternity, resting in the certainty of his power and his plan, even though things at the moment may seem confounding and may seem hard. And when nothing appears to make sense, you can awake with a confident joy that his plan is marching on and that he will win. An unwavering joy that does not melt in the face of difficulty is found only in knowing God. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in this Christmas, you can rejoice. You can rejoice because of Christ's actions for you. Christ proved that he was the gift that wanted you. Christ proved that he was the gift that wanted us through his presence, through his prayer, and through his perseverance. Praise be to God for this unspeakable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his presence and coming to be with us. We thank you for his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who now resides in those who are believers. 
We thank you for Christ's perseverance that the mission of redemption which he started is continuing this day. Father, I know that there are those who are not feeling joy this Christmas. I pray that you would comfort those who are hurting. I pray that you would provide joy or provide for those who are lacking. I pray that you'd be near those who are lonely. And I pray that you would calm those who are anxious. I pray that you would help us to find true joy in Christ this Christmas. I pray that we look forward with joy to your return and the restoration of all things when eternal joy will finally fill the world. This we pray in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen.